you know, before I forget and dive in uh, to scripture and to the series, I did want to mention that at the end of the service, um, if anyone could stick around and help us with some teardown, it's actually some really brief uh, things with respect to some tall tables that we put in the back. Um, we would love your help. We normally have folks that are committed and scheduled to come, but every now and then something happens uh, and they can't come, and so that's a situation we're dealing with. And so if it's literally like two people, three people max, it would take a couple of minutes. And so if you could be available, you could uh, see Pastor Denise uh, at the end of the service. That would be really, really helpful. Cool. Oh, what? Oh, no. It's Chris's birthday today. I didn't, I didn't do it to you live on the live stream on the internet last service. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Chris. Thank you, very, very kind. Way to remind me I'm getting older. Um, we're, we're starting a brand new sermon series that uh, today, and we're gonna be in this series for a couple of weeks. And I'm really, really stirred in my soul about what I believe God wants to do during this series. The title of this series comes from an African proverb. It's a word that has rich meaning. The word is Sankofa. And you may be wondering, what does that word mean? What is this series going to be about? Pay attention and I'll tell you toward the middle of the sermon. And so we are going to begin in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture today that talks about fasting says this, shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is, this, is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we've come to you with expectant hearts. We pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We need to hear your voice. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would glorify Jesus. Help us to see him, to hear him in a fresh and transformative way. Help us to understand your word, God. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen and amen. You know, I've shared before that one of the things that I continue to be slow to let people know about is that I'm a pastor, especially if uh, they're not a follower of Jesus. It's not because I'm ashamed of being a pastor. I love being a pastor. It's my birthday, and what am I doing? I'm preaching. I love <laughs> being with the church and following Jesus together. But it's out of care for people that I don't want them to know that I'm a pastor too quickly before they actually know that I'm a human being, a person, because it's so awkward. Uh, the other day it happened. I met someone, and uh, their, their reaction uh, was painfully hilarious. They said, um, we introduced I was like, oh, yeah, hey, I'm Tom. You, you know, I'm a good person. I was like, oh, oh okay, Tom. That's, I, I never questioned it. I, I didn't wonder. You know, nothing about you made me think that you weren't a good person. But what I realized in those moments is that, sadly, so many people, when they think of Jesus, they think of religion, not the gospel. They, they don't think of Jesus as good news. They think of Jesus as someone who's hard to please, someone who's constantly like searching through their trash to find something to point out as to this, look at what you have wrong, look at what's, what's broken about you. And, and really what the essence of religion ends up doing to us, it ends up pushing us in two extremes. Often what religion does, the impulse of religion, and when I say religion, I need you and I to be on the same page, I'm not just talking about other religions. I'm actually saying that as Christians, we can be religious. As Christians who follow Jesus, we can have a spirit of religiosity. And what that spirit does to us, it pushes us into two extremes. One extreme is that it tends to reduce our relationship with God to a set of transactions. Where if I do X, God owes me Y. Religion seeks to make God become someone who owes us something. That if we obey, he owes us blessings. If we obey, he better stave off difficult times because I don't deserve that. I deserve good things for my good obedience. It's a toxic, toxic way to have a relationship with God because it's unending. It's unceasing. The burden of that doesn't just evaporate it's always there, and it taints every single interaction and ounce of relationship. That's one extreme, reducing God to someone who owes us something. He's a debtor to us based on our obedience. But the other thing that religion tends to do, it tends to make us focus on devotion to God to the exclusion of love for our neighbor. And so the more religious we can be, it ends up manifesting in, oh, we, we study scripture, we pray, we, we're in church regularly, we give, we do all the things that feel like I'm devoted, and in the next breath, we can so easily dehumanize someone, easily not be moved by injustice and the broken things in a world that impact others and not care and be flippant and be cold and detached from it. I remember I was, a, I was 19 years old, so this was 1999, and I was in a citywide prayer meeting, and this was uh, encouraging. I need you to know, like, I know New York right now is going through some stuff, and we need to fix things, and we need to pray for our elected officials, and we need to advocate for 
all sorts of things to be better. But can I tell you, it was way rough back in the 80s and 90s. I will take this roughness any day because back then it was wild. And so as a result, churches were gathering throughout the city to pray, to cry out to God because the murder rate was so high and crime was just unbelievable. Uh, just it, it was not safe. You did not feel like you could actually thrive in the city. And, and churches gathered to pray, to seek God, to serve their neighbors, to see that we would see change, transformative change. And I can tell you, over the last two decades, I saw with my eyes the fruit of those prayers as our, as our city softened and became a really hospitable place where people can flourish and grow, brokenness and all, but it was a beautiful place to be in. So we're in this prayer meeting. And there was this woman at the end of my row. When I tell you, to date, I'm not sure I have heard someone pray with such power, with such fullness. It was so unbelievable that I found myself distracted from my own prayer. Because I just like, wow, this woman knows God. She, like when she prayed, you felt like God was right there. Like you'd almost feel God breathing on you. It was powerful. And then we were dismissing from the rose and someone must have like pushed her and, or she must have felt like she was being pushed out the row and it went from seeking God for the flourishing of our city to you mother. And I was like, oh my gosh, it popped off in the church service. I was like, what just happened here? It was such a New York moment. How easily we can go from being devoted to God with our whole hearts to the next moment dehumanizing someone, not being moved by the image of God in them. That's the essence of religion. And at this moment, the passage we're reading, the prophet Isaiah, it's a really interesting moment of correction because on the surface, it's just like, why is God correcting Israel because if, you, if we read the passage, what's there to correct? It says, for day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. So they're fasting with all of this before them. And it's, it's important to note, that Israel as a nation, there was the expectation that they would fast once a year. However, because their life together was often disrupted by wars and moving from place to place, they were nomadic at times, they actually opted to fast multiple times a year. And so they, they're devoted. Like to give you an example, if I go and ask my kid to clean their room and I come home and they clean the bathroom, kitchen, their room, and the driveway, like, I'm not going to be mad. I'm like, this is a great day. I'm an amazing parent. Look at this child. They're going to be a great adult one day. So, like, they're doing extra. Israel is actually really devoted. And yet, the prophet is correcting them. Why is it? Actually, verse 3 gives us one of the indications. It says, 
Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? You see, why they were being corrected is because they were humbling themselves through fasting in order for God to be their debtor. They wanted God to owe them. They tried to get God to do what they desired him to do. And so fasting was a tool. It was a spiritually manipulative tool in their hands rather than it being a practice that helps us to humble ourselves before God. And so their fasting, their motivation toward God was completely off. And so they're being corrected because of that. But then it further goes to say, it says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends with in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fist. And so imagine this scenario. They're fasting, they're seeking God, and yet we read that it has no transformative impact on the way they treated people in the business place, workers, uh, the way they treated others. In fact, it says at the end of their fasting, they would get into fights. And so clearly fasting, not only was their motive toward God off, they were trying to get God to owe them, but also their love for others did not grow as a result of them humbling themselves before God. And so Isaiah is bringing a strong correction because ultimately what was wrong here, despite the outward show of their spirituality, they missed the two key things that Jesus says should be at the forefront of our hearts continuously. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, it says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so the Israelites in this moment were ignoring God's command to love him fully, to love him from a true place, not a manipulative place, not a religious place, but also they were ignoring God's command to love their neighbor. And here is the sad truth that we have to wrestle with today in this room, and that is that we are not much different than them. So often, we can find ourselves doing things in order to gain God's favor. So often we can think that God owes us something because we've obeyed. You know, a, a, a mental place I find myself going to often, and it comes unexpected, and so I, when I'm talking about, I'm, I still have to unravel in me this, this stuff goes deep, that religious mentality. And here's an example. If I'm having a week where I have been like super intentional and I'm reading scripture, like I'm devouring the Bible, I'm praying, I'm, I'm like my family rhythms are amazing, everything is just going great, work's going great, and then something goes wrong, one of my first thoughts is I don't deserve this. I've been faithful. I don't deserve this. 
I know I'm totally alone on that, but if you want to join me on that island, there's plenty of space for us to actually be honest and confess that often we can easily find ourselves in a similar kind of thought process where God owes us something based on our obedience and he, he must shield us from this or that based on our faithfulness. But it's funny we don't think about that same logic based on our unfaithfulness. It's a religious mindset. We're very similar to Israel in that way, that how often we could ignore our neighbor, dehumanize our neighbor, not be moved by injustice, and yet still perceive ourselves to be faithful to God. You know, it's, it's, it's a sad commentary, and I'm gonna, there's so many examples I can give you, um, especially in light of that we're in the middle of Black History Month, and the stories of courage, resilience. Uh, if, if, if you don't find the African-American story to be one of the most resilient, beautiful stories you've ever heard of. I don't know what story you're looking for because the resilience, the courage, the miracle of the African-American family and, and, and the success and the fruitfulness, it's unbelievable. And the fact that any African-American would still want to love Jesus is absolutely amazing to me because of so many injustices that were done by his church. While the church thought we were loving God. I'll give you one example. I'm going to keep it light. It's, it's Sunday. You know, I want to keep it light. Because um, we're already talking about fasting. Some of you are already all stressed out, you know. Um, <laughs> Christian schools. Do you know that Christian schools, one of the, the time period in our country where they began to proliferate and pop up everywhere, you know what was one of the causes that made their proliferation? Was when segregation ended. Christians in the South, rather than wanting their kids to be in biracial school environments and have classmates that were African American, they said, let's start our own schools because the government can't regulate how we run these schools if they're religious institutions. I tell you, the, the, the rabbit hole goes deep when it comes to just race and injustice toward African Americans. In the name of Christ, some of these things were done. That's just one example. That's our context. That's America. If you don't want to wrestle with that, then there's other places you could potentially move to. But if you're going to live in America and you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to wrestle with that. I'm going to have to wrestle with that. That's part of our history. That's part of what we have to deal with and face. But again, an example of loving God at the expense of neighbor. This is what religion does to us. How does the prophet correct this? This posture of trying to manipulate God, get God to do what we want him to do, to use God, as well as to seek God at the expense of neighbor, to ignore injustice. Verse 7, he corrects their fasting. He says, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter 
when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Throughout the rest of this chapter, and I encourage you to read the entirety of Isaiah 58, it gives this amazing image and description of what fasting done from a true humble place that doesn't seek to manipulate God and, and use God and get God to owe us and doesn't try to devote ourselves to God at the expense of our neighbor and ignoring injustice. God corrects their fasting and he tells them that the fast that he chooses is one where both things happen, where we grow in intimacy with God, not trying to use him, not trying to get him to owe us, but we grow in intimacy with God without becoming callous to the injustice that our neighbor experiences. Both of those things happen as we fast correctly. And now to the question of what does this have to do with the word Sankofa? What is this series about? Where are we heading? I'm glad you asked. Sankofa, it's... This word comes from an African proverb. It's a story about a bird, that this bird, in order to move forward on its journey, had to return back to the village it was from. In essence, the bird had to retrieve, recover its own history in order to move forward. And so they, they uh, capture this journey of the bird by painting a picture of a bird that its beak is facing backwards, its eyes are looking backwards while it's moving forward. It's this image of many times, in order for us to move forward, we first have to recover the past, understand our roots, unearth things that we may have lost along the way. And why we're titling this series Sankofa is because what we're trying to do is we're trying to uncover these ancient biblical practices for our modern life. That there are things that the scriptures teach us that followers of Jesus have practiced for centuries. And in modern day New York, there are many of us who want to follow Jesus and yet we're trying to without actually using these practices that were given to us from scripture in order to help us do that. And so we're trying to, like, imagine this imagery. is kind of funny, but imagine if Jesus was in a car and he's driving down the street and you're trying to follow him, but you choose to run after the car. You're not going to catch the car. You're going to be exhausted, and you're going to see Jesus drive off and say, why, Jesus? Wait for me, Jesus. And you're going to be just pumping your fists. You know what would be really great is if you got in a car yourself and actually followed him at a pace that would allow you to actually be with him. Often, us, we're trying to follow Jesus, not using the tools that he's given us to follow him with, and he feels far, he feels distant, we feel like we can never catch up. But what if we practice the things that scripture has taught us to practice so that you and I could be tethered to Jesus, so that we could be close to him, intentionally that's what we're seeking to do during this series and I have to give you some more context this series actually kicks off what will be a three-year journey a three-year journey and so if you had plans 
to not be part of this church after this next couple months, I feel for you, really. You're going to miss out because over the next three years, we're going to take a journey together as a church where we're going to deepen our walk with God, where we're going to go from talking about spiritual practices, understanding them, maybe even be able to explain them, to actually practicing them. I won't ask for a show of hands, but if we did a survey here and we were all honest, we might discover grimly that many of us, we know more about prayer than actually practicing prayer. We know more about reading the Bible than actually reading the Bible. We know about fasting than actually practicing it. We know about Sabbath, about resting in the Lord than actually practicing it. But what if we could reverse that. What if we became a church where it's not just a few people that know how to go to the well and get living water? What if we became a church where all of us are equipped to go to the well ourselves and get living water from Jesus? That's our prayer, that over the next several years, we would become a church that's deeply transformed by practicing the things that Scripture calls us to practice And why we're beginning with fasting is because we're going to anchor all of this in a posture of humility. You see, it's important to be very clear because we talked about the essence of religion and the difference of religion versus religion from the gospel. If religion tells you that you have to do certain things for God to love you, if religion tries to get us to make God our debtor, the gospel says the complete opposite. The good news of Jesus tells us that you don't have to do X, Y, and Z to be loved by God, that actually Jesus has done all the heavy lifting for us, and that you and I have to learn to become endless recipients of love that we don't deserve that we can't earn. And let me tell you, that rubs against the grain of our desires to self-justify, to get God to owe us. We We fight grace because grace takes away the power from us. You're not in control if your relationship with God is governed by grace because then you can't do anything that changes the dynamics of the relationship. He set the terms. And his terms are that he will love us unconditionally through the sacrifice of his son. All you and I have to do is audaciously believe that this is true. That's all you have to do to believe that the living God would love me as he says, to take him at his word. And so why it's such a powerful counter, uh, like it's so different than the religious impulse is because we don't practice these things in order to be loved. We practice them because we are already loved. So we're not fasting so that God will love us more. We're not reading scripture so that God will love us more. He already loves us. That's not changing. So it's, it's good news for you to walk out of here and say, I don't have to do a thing and God won't love me any less. Now, the problem is some of us will take that to an extreme and say, I'm done with obeying for the rest of 2023. It doesn't matter. 
I, I don't have to obey a thing. God will not love me less. But actually, that reveals that you don't understand the true essence of grace. Because if you believe that you are loved unconditionally, then your response is to not to try to earn that love. Your response is to be grateful for that love. And so we obey out of gratitude, not out of guilt or shame. When you practice these disciplines from that posture, they go from being a burden to being a wonderful tool that essentially just ushers you into the presence of God. And so we're talking about fasting today. I'm going to give you some details shortly. But during this series, we're going to talk about other spiritual disciplines, not just fasting. And the hope is that you and I will leave this year, at the end of this year, saying, I actually practice these things. So if, like, if you've been on the bench and you say, man, I'd just love to get on base and I'd love to actually get in the game and I don't want to just think about these things. I want, you're going to get your opportunity. All of us are going to get an opportunity to actually do the things that Jesus invites us to. I don't know about you, but that stirs me the thought of I'm no longer going to just like mentally assent to these things or kind of stockpile them in my mind these ideas about what a follower of Jesus does but I'm going to have lived functional hands-on experience with these things if you are not someone who practices fasting and prayer it should excite you but that by the end of this year you will be someone who practices fasting and prayer if you're someone that doesn't have regular time of prayer and, and, and devotion to God in that space, it should excite you that you're going to do that, that we're going on this journey. We're going to talk about things that are going to challenge us as New Yorkers. We're going to talk about Sabbath and what it looks like to actually practice Sabbath. But again, all of these things are going to be discussed in a way that you don't do these things to be loved more by God. You do these things because you are already loved by God and you want to remain in the presence of his love. You do this so that you can cultivate continuous communion with God, not so that you could earn his love. But what excites me about this three-year vision is what God could do beyond our lifetime. You know, as an aging man, I think about, <laughs> but I often do, I think about what's gonna happen when I'm gone. So a lot of things I try to be intentional with my kids because I know one day I'm not gonna be here. And I want to make sure they're set up. My greatest prayer is that when I'm gone, they would follow Jesus. But I know if I don't model that, if I don't equip them to, then it's just a nice desire. For our church, my greatest prayer is that each of you would really follow Jesus. That you would really know him that you would cultivate the rhythms and the disciplines for you to follow him, for you to hear his voice, experience his presence, be empowered by his spirit to understand scripture. Mm. 
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Mm. Praise God. My prayer is that we would truly, truly know him. And my prayer is that beyond our lifetime, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, that there's people that one day will decide to move to New York and that because of the way we lived faithfully, we create the possibility of them knowing Jesus. That there's some native New Yorker right now that they may encounter Jesus because of the way we follow him, that God uses our church in some way for them to confess faith in Jesus and their life would be changed and their children and their children's children imagine what God could do with a group of people that are fully yielded to him. You know, the, uh, yesterday I saw this documentary that it kind of moved me. They got me. I, I got emotional. Um, and I wasn't expecting it because it was a documentary about all of the systems that make New York City function. So literally the documentary showcases sanitation um, and MTA and tunnels and bridges and uh, Con Ed. Um, and so I thought of some, you know, our very own Belinda um, <laughs> who keeps the city functioning. And legit... If I would have been outside and saw an MTA worker, I would have hugged them. I'm like, I love you, man. I love you. Because as I was watching, I was like, this is a good city, all right? It's, it's, where you, where, I got to stop complaining. The city's trying, you know? Like, it was, it's, it's lovely, you know? Because it's so much stuff you could take for granted. And they said something about the reservoir system that was fascinating. Um, they designed this system over 100 years ago with engineering tools that they didn't have the, the computers we have now, it's absolutely mind-blowing. A system that provides the best, cleanest water for a city our size. If you, if you actually, the, the documentary did a really good job to talk about before the system was designed, how much sickness was continuous in New York because of the water. Like all this dirt, all this stuff kept going in the water, viruses of all sorts. And there was a line that they said, they said, they designed this system not for the New York that was, they designed it for the New York that would be. And I thought about our church and this journey that we're about to go on. And what, imagine what God could do over these next three years of us having a singular focus to seek him to be transformed by him, to practice what scripture calls us to practice. What he could do beyond our lifetime. The people that could be impacted by our acts of obedience. You know, as, as, I, as we talk about fasting, just very quickly, because fasting, it's amazing. In our lifetime, fasting has become popular. It's actually in vogue. Um, you don't... If you actually typed in fasting, you'd probably have to search for a while before you actually reached a Christian resource about fasting because most of the hits would be all these sorts of benefits for fasting. And so scripturally speaking, fasting is not a hunger strike. 
It's not a diet. It's not uh, a way to get healthier. The main purpose is to foster humility and a, a posture of dependence on God as we push aside our base needs. Jesus fasted, and he didn't have any sin to repent of, and he didn't need to love his neighbor more. And so why did he fast? To practice humility and dependence on the Father. And so we, we fast because we have some sins we need to repent of, and fasting creates some margin for us to spend time dealing with these things and to not ignore it. By the time we create in our life by fasting, it gives us the space to really encounter God in these areas. But ultimately, like Jesus, we fast so that we could practice humility and model dependence on the Father. Here's what we're going to do. I'm give, I'm, we're giving you lots of runway and lead time to prepare because we want every person possible to participate. We're going to begin a fast on Sunday, March 19th. You're like, okay. Some of you have big plans with a piece of pizza later. Keep those plans. You have time to prepare. Sunday, March 19th till Saturday, March 25th. We're inviting everyone from now till then to seek God, similar to what we did during Extending Hope, Seek God as to what kind of fast he's leading you to do. We're not being prescriptive. We're not saying everyone should fast in a certain way. Seek God and ask him what kind of fasting you should do during those seven days. And some examples are a complete fast, a selective fast, um, a soul fast. That's what some folks call things like abstaining from social media. Um, there's water fast. There's the Daniel fast. It's fruits and vegetables, no animal protein. There's juice fast. Um, there's all sorts of ways, and in fact, we'll be providing resources on our website shortly for you to go and do your own research, do your own processing. There's sermons that we'll post, PDFs, resources of, as such as books, all sorts of things to help you prepare. We're also creating what will be a companion, basically a seven-day prayer journal that will help you um, throughout it. it. It could be a resource that can guide and prompt your prayers. From now till then, what we're asking you to do is to discern what kind of fast Jesus would be calling you to. And again, as we've said before, we're not prescriptive. We're not telling you to fast a particular way. If you have to see a physician, see a physician and go get some uh, advice in that regard. We want you to practice this safely and with wisdom. But Something I didn't get to really say in the first service, I, I want to be so delicate and balanced. There, there are moments in scripture, I think of Joel chapter 2 in particular, where the prophet Joel calls for a fast, a time of consecration, and he actually says these words. He says, if you just got married, come and fast. Um, if you're in the field, come and fast. He gives all these different examples, basically like this is an all-hands-on-deck kind of moment. So much so that if you're in the middle of your honeymoon, pause that and come and fast. That sounds intense, right? Some of you are like, oh, I don't like the prophet Joel. We're, uh, that's intense. 
when I say we're going into a season of fasting, I want you to hear with no legalism, no shame, no guilt, that's the tone I'm feeling for this fast. All hands on deck. So obviously, you pray, you seek God, follow his leading. But I want you to hear from my heart to yours, we're taking this utterly seriously. We're going to be fasting as a church for seven days, and we're hoping and praying all of you join as the Lord leads. I'll close with this. Again, as we've said a few times this morning, but it bears repeating because, again, religion is so pervasive in our thoughts. Because we're fully pleasing in God's sight, that's why we choose to do these things. We don't do these things in order to become fully pleasing in his sight. Christ has done that for us. And so as we prepare to take a journey, and next week we unpack a really powerful spiritual discipline, all of these disciplines we're going to talk about this year and the next couple years, it will always be in that framework. We don't do these things for Jesus to love us. We do these things because he loves us already, an unearned love. And these things help us foster intentional communion with him. Could I invite us to stand? As we stand and the worship team leads us in a few moments and the prayer team will be available before we do that, we're going to come together to the Lord's table. And so if you came in this morning and did not receive a communion cup, would you be so kind, would you just raise your hand very quickly and kind of raise it high so that our folks could see you and bring you communion cup very quickly. Thank you so much. If you have the cup already, you could begin by opening the top and preparing to receive the bread. First Corinthians, the 11th chapter, verse 23. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. But the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that at this moment, as we receive this bread, we remember your sacrifice. We remember your atoning death. And scripture says that in this we can see your love. Because even when we, enemies of the cross, you came and still died for us. We thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. Let's receive the bread at this time. We prepare to receive the cup. 
the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Jesus thank you for your sacrifice scripture says that you who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in you that you bore our sin and by faith you have credited to us your righteousness oh we praise you we worship you we thank you for your goodness let's receive the cup together us could we if you feel comfortable could we raise our hands in the presence of God and could we just begin to thank him and worship him in our own words this is a season we're entering into where the Lord is going to transform us deeply where each of us is going to grow in practicing what scripture teaches us our intimacy with God is going to deepen our love for neighbor is going to deepen Jesus, we pray you change us, transform us. And that our obedience would be a tool in your hand that would transform our city for decades to come. As we worship, the prayer team is in the back. They would love to pray with you regarding any of the words that were shared earlier or anything that you need prayer for. And so you could slip out of your seat in these next few moments and go and receive prayer. Let's worship.